Okay, happy podcast day. I know. And um, we'll get into it so we can get into it. I am Rachel Vote, and I'm here with my best friend. Who are they? Fine, who are you? <laughs> who am I? All that things. Uh, I am Jess Anderson. I am with photoswithanderson.com or on Facebook. You can also search for my private group. It's Boudoir Photos with Anderson. If you have not joined that group yet, you need to. I just posted some great package deals for ladies to use. Oh, you mean like for Christmas times? For Christmas times. Like for maybe even Valentine's times? For Valentine's times. <laughs> or for any time times. Uh, yeah. But yes. Um, I'm super excited about them and ladies have been snatching them up. I did not realize how many sessions I have booked in the next couple of weeks till I was typing them all out for you today. Oh, so, yeah. That's great, though. Yeah. I'm That's good. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, for any times, times. Don't. Yeah. Just because I happen to trigger your advertised brainwashed mind by mm-hmm. saying those things. Um, you know, today we just were working together for a very good friend of the both of ours. Yeah. Who um, did one just for her today. She did. And, and we are both very proud of her. I'm so proud of her. I'm even more proud, um, and this is not to, I'm not trying to trigger anyone with body shame or, or body dysmorphia, but she was telling me that she was surprised that she was even doing it for herself right now because she had gained so much weight since the birth of her child um, because of medical reasons. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she felt like, you know, if she would have done it a year ago, she would have been much happier about it. But I was so happy. Like, I was... I was so impressed with how com- like confident she was, and she was doing this for herself, nobody else, so she didn't care what anyone else thought. It was just for her. So it's really great. I mean, I, I hear women all the time say that they need more confidence before they do something like this, and I'm like, girl, no. no just give yeah, you that confidence you're I agree. For. I agree. And I didn't say it today, but I always say it when I leave from doing hair, as I tell the girls, hey, don't wait for your entire session to get comfortable, because that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Because Jess has seen hundreds of naked bodies. <laughs> Yes. And she'll know exactly how to pose you so you'll feel confident. And that's all it is, is it's not like you're trying to cover anything up. You're only accentuating what's already fantastic about them. So, um, yeah, so that's our long-winded way of saying get in touch if you want to feel good about yourself a little bit. Get in touch with me if you want to get in touch with yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I know lots of women that have also done them in the span of different seasons of life. Oh, I encourage it. I was just telling Hope today that I wish more women would do them yearly or... Um, every other year or every five years even just so that you can kind of document the change and growth uh, with your physical appearance and it's not I don't want anyone to be like oh I don't want to watch myself decline but it's like you I think well always harder on yourself in the moment than than when you look back five years later that but I also think that what they would probably be surprised is you know like what I like about looking at my photos now and I I I mean granted it's there's less weight Mm -hmm. (laughs) weight there but um, I just feel like I can just see a happier, healthier person, mm-hmm. which is motivating in itself. But it's like if you're if you flip it to the boudoir session side of it, it's like how much more comfortable do you get year after year, especially if you're going with the same person. Exactly. Right. So then you can see your confidence. That right. and you can spice things up and feel more comfortable to mm-hmm. do so. And especially is if you're in a long term relationship with somebody, how that would grow and the integration of either making that really personal or getting outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So come on, just do it already. Okay. Uh, which is ironic. That has nothing to do with what we were talking about today. <laughs> no, <laughs> but anyhow, that's okay. Cause there's never a bad time to talk about it. So, um, for myself, I, I think we're cooking this week, but I don't know. So just make sure to tune in, uh, and 
then you can also let me know if you would like to get some information about the empowerment class coming up and if you want to be a part of the VIP page where there's a lot of intimacy building as well as sexual awareness happening as long as you're 18 years old or I said that feminine energy. Mm -hmm. Oscar's throwing us off. He's being really weird. Okay, so um, all of that kind of stuff. And I'll, over on Instagram, vote for parties. So today we are going to be doing a continuation from our conversation from last week. So that was, co uh, I think it was co-parenting or just yeah. parenting episode one, something like that. It doesn't matter. You're still here to listen. Shout out to Ashley for knocking us with that idea and... Here you go. We're going to talk a little bit more about it today. Because yeah. uh, as, as you know, there are hundreds of thousands of not books, but ideas about how to parent. Last week, we feel like we were able to kind of touch base a lot on the actual parenting aspect mm -hmm. uh, of children. And this week, what we want to kind of focus on is the actual shaping of their tiny little minds yeah and, and personalities and beliefs and thoughts and the awareness of their that of yeah we want to help your awareness as a parent and kind of clue you into some of the things that we've learned over the last several years of parenting one but i also want you to don't think it's about that right because like people sometimes get like offended some could be potentially but this is more of a like even from our own experiences by yeah. well being through personal development recognizing mm -hmm how our parents trigger us now mm -hmm. and working through that kind of stuff too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, I know that you and I are so similar in thinking in, in ways, but I love listening to you talk about different parenting things that you've tried or different things that you've learned and, and are trying out with your children mm. just because it's, it, I don't know. I feel like the fact that I became a, a step parent before I became a biological parent, heck I became a godparent and an aunt before I became a step parent. Right. Um, so I've been, around small children for at least 10 years. Um, oh, heck, I said my brother is going to be 16 in February, so I've been around small children for 16 years. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like I was really ignorant to a lot of things, and I didn't care to learn about new parenting styles. Cause I or think, that you needed to. Or that I needed to, yeah. Like, it was just I didn't know what I didn't know, and I felt like as long as I could keep them alive, alive yes. it was important enough. Like, my best friend, Brittany, who... I'm the godmother to her oldest. Uh, we lived together when her baby was just born. And I remember at four months old, we high-fived each other on her four-month birthiversary <laughs> to say, we, we've made it this far. Like, we've made it past four months. We can do the next 40 years. Like, this will be fine. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the evolution of my parenting was that it started out just winging it and figuring out, like, how to keep the children from crying all the time. So yeah. Now it's, now it's I'm aware of the impact that I have in their life and how I can shape their brain and help help guide them to a less anxiety-filled existence than my own. It's both um, taking on a lot more responsibility in the years and and um, guilt. <laughs> guilt and, sh I don't know, I mean, shame at the same time, but like, more joy because because yeah. you you realize what you're doing but pressure i think is probably the number one thing but i feel like i've been able to kind of work through that a little bit more now as well kind of recognizing um those differences between and for me so i feel like yours was a really great story about how it kind of eased you into biologically parenting yeah, yeah. <laughs> right you had all of these really great opportunities and i did i had nieces and nephews by the time i was 16 i had my first nephew um 
but it would still be like six years before Cole was born. Mm-hmm. And then it would be a decade before I had another, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like mine's kind of the similar, but also kind of a quantum leap yes. of, of difference. And again, that's what brings you know, to the table, really great experiences to be able to share with people because um, I do feel like personally raising two a decade apart made a huge difference for a myriad of different reasons. But the biggest being that I was just not, I was kind of the same philosophy like you were saying earlier. I was not an ideal parent, I would say, that I wish I could have been. Um, for cool. Yeah, yes, because I was young and confused about my own life. And already pretty much just replicating what my parents had done for me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, like young and fighting all the time with my spouse and not really as invested intellectually in my child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, we did, we did fun stuff. We did fun stuff like the children's museum, but at the expense of me calling and stick to my corporate job so I could do it, yeah. right? Because I was just... Done it. Come on. Oh, I hope so. But mine was terrible. Mine was terrible. Um, but I feel like I feel like it's very similar. Like our start... You having Cole at 22, right? Yeah, I was 21, 21. when I had him. Yeah, but yeah, okay. shortly after. So 21. I was 19 when Liliana was born. And Lily is... She is my goddaughter, but I I always joke and say that I was dad the first year of her life yeah. because her biological father was um, unable to be present as a father for mm-hmm. her the first. Well, he, she's since been adopted by her dad now, but um, I was dad. So at 19 years old, I stepped into the role of a parent figure on biologically. But so, yeah, I feel like we were kind of at the same points in our life, confused wise and Role trying to figure yourself out, yeah. And just like, and you don't know in the moment that you're you don't know, yeah, anything, anything. number one, but or that exactly. you're figuring yourself out because you think you have yourself figured out. You're like, I'm you're 22, naive. yeah, you're, you're like, naive, so. yeah. I'm gonna party every weekend and blow all this money that I make, and I don't, I don't have to worry about nothing, exactly. As but then, how old were you when you had Olivia? Olivia. Uh, well, they were they're. Like a decade apart. Well, she was born in 2018, so I turned. Th- I was 33 when she was born. 33, okay. Or I turned 33 the year she was born. Because, you know, we all know I'm currently pregnant with Miss Harper. Yeah. And her due date is Christmas Day, so three weeks after her due date, well, I will turn 28. So it's, I went from being 19 with my goddaughter's birth to being 28, basically, with my own biological daughter's birth. hmm All of that growth and maturity in between... And life experience, yes, and which I think is just as important as personal growth is just experiencing things because I think those two go in hand in hand. Well, if you don't like, that's the kind of other thing is like, how do you? Well, I guess I shouldn't say how do you know not to give that to your kids or to give it to your kids. But I would say that there's types of experiences that I missed out on as a kid that I ensured my kids had. Mm-hmm. Or, but again, who's to say, right? Like. Had I maybe told my parents, hey, I wanted to do that, they maybe would have done it or maybe they wouldn't have, but maybe it wasn't what they thought a child's experience needs to be. So that's where you get wrapped up in that whole disappointment and blah, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have, we have a lot of experience. Um, and as you were talking about earlier with, it's just is, I mean, the universe has to happen the way the universe has to happen. And it had to happen that I was going through personal development as I was birthing the second baby. Um, which was probably the best gift out of the personal development that I was not expecting because I wasn't yes or no planning on having mm-hmm. babies. 
So the amount of patience I had for a newborn in those months, I think one comes with experience, but I would have thought that being a decade older, I probably would have been more tired. Yeah. But I had also cultivated a better life for myself. I was working for me. So I got to do what I wanted and work what I could and my partner situation was totally different and I had a very supportive partner, but I would say, um, I probably got up more with Olivia than I did with Cole, but that was just because again, I could. Yeah. Um, and I felt okay to do so. Like I was exhausted with Cole, but I was overweight and no spirituality and, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with my partner. So it was just a totally different world, but yeah, not only the recognition for myself, the things that I go, oh my gosh, if I would have known that at my age, or her age, or his age, or whatever, God, I can't even imagine how I would have processed, or coped, mm-hmm. or known, even known, like things just, like, <sighs> like I tell my 12-year-old all the time, I would tell him in fourth grade, and fifth grade, I think they go to middle school in fifth grade now, sixth grade, sixth grade. I think I went to middle school in sixth grade. I went to middle school in seventh. It was weird. And I went to high school in 10th. And so, yeah, anyways, yeah. yeah, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, so my point is, is that as Cole was reaching the end of elementary school, I would, I would tell him, I, I, I said, I, for a lot of people, you know, it is very, um, cliche. I was supposed to think that you're going to have some life defining moments in high school. For me, that was middle school. Oh, same. much more impactful for me. Like I, I knew by high school who I wanted to be and or, well, I mean, like, that's kind of an exaggeration. Like, I knew I wanted to start working on finding myself already, but I jumped into, like, different clubs and so on and so forth. But the emotional setback stuff that people, I think, usually experience in high school, that started for me in middle school. Like, devastating kind of emotional impacts. Oh, I agree. I think that just because of the situations I put myself in at a very young age, with, like, with relationships and boys and things like that, um, like, we've already talked about how young I was mm-hmm. when I had my first experiences. Like, those were some in elementary school. Yeah. And that they, tra- like, followed me to middle school. But then certain friendships that I had and certain the way that I treated friends. Because I have a couple of, of friendships that I remember. Like, I'm very ashamed of how I handled situations. But I give myself grace knowing that I was so young. And I, I was acting out in my friendships because of what was going on in my home life. Right. Um, things like that. But a lot of that stuff happened in, in middle school because I... I I almost feel like I was a little bit more outgoing and willing to make me willing, too. Will, I was a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more willing to make my give, put myself in situations that could have an outcome of embarrassment and things like that. But then I quickly learned the overwhelming feeling of being embarrassed and like devastation, the, the devastation and rejection, yes, yes. rejection, and shame, then, and then how nasty girls, yeah. like how girls my own age, could yeah. be at that yeah, age. Yeah. And how it, and levels I went to, yeah, same. And levels I went to. Oh, I I do feel like I was burned more than I burned, but I also feel like I burned a lot because I got burned. I feel like I, I mean, there's things that I have not admitted to people. Yep, me that, too. That I did behind the scenes to try and sabotage friendships in middle school yeah, between other people, or just in general, just like really gross behavior that you're like, I really can't, gross, I can't believe I thought it was okay. That, like, I was over, I've always, I've been overweight my entire life. I've, I've been obese my entire life. Um, ever since I was like five years old, I think I've, I've registered as obese on the scale. Um, with that being said, I was very nice and friendly to your face, but in middle school and in, in the early years in high school, I would start rumors about other people because I was, I, in my head, 
it made sense that if other people were talking about other girls, they wouldn't they be talking about you. They weren't talking about me. Yeah, but how powerful of a revelation that you're getting that because oh like God. mean girl behavior is usually just natural yeah. you know, behavior. Um, and I can't say that I knew it at the time either, but mine, ironically, mine was so different because I was, no, I, if I, I had to say, if I had to say I was popular, I was popular in elementary school and in middle school. And I could, looking back, could tell that people were coming to me mm-hmm. as like the cl- click builder kind of thing. And I didn't even like understand that that was happening until things like that started happening to me. Oh, really? um, and I honestly can say that I don't remember ever, ever really wanting to start rumors about people, but when people would fight with me, then it would get bad. Oh yeah. I would make my friends choose sides. Like, no, there's, but, oh God, I was just bad. I was such a, I was such a behind the scenes bully. I, and I say behind the scenes because I could convince, I could convince people at that age that people could convince me to do shit. At I, that age. But I, like, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. You're like, I was like a, becoming a tiny little narcissist yeah. I think, in middle school and it's awful to think about i have there are a couple of girls who had weighed similar weight as i did in middle school that i was very very nasty to and there, like there's a couple of these girls that i don't know if it would be beneficial to bring up those things now and like apologize about them because it's one of those does is it for me or is for it for them? me for me or for them but i have definitely cyber stalk the shit out of them because I, I hope that they're happy and I hope that what I did to them did not devastate them at oh the level gosh. that I, that I, that I feel like it could have because it's what you know part, part of personal development is making amends at some point. Yeah, you know, I know that. I know, I know. But I there is ways, well, but there, I mean, I've been in it for a while and there's ways to do that with, you don't have to, it's not required no. for you to actually call this person or, you know, well, whatever. These but, are people that I have not talked to since middle school. Yeah, yeah, I know. But what you just said was really true or really powerful because, you know, one of the first public face-to-face apologies <laughs> I made to somebody, which was so difficult, um, was the same kind of philosophy was that I was having a realization that it's because of my past experiences in my childhood that mm-hmm. I was behaving the way I was behaving and it wasn't an excuse to this person that I was, I said, I'm sorry. It was just that, you know, I'm a better person now. And it's also not about, I need you to know that. So you feel better for me. It's just that had I known better, I would have done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was very graceful to me in that apology, of course. But what I want to say is that she, if you need, y'all need to be like Tony Erickson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's her name anymore. But my point is, is that she gave me so much grace like, if you think about, like, you've got some um, kids that your friend, your your kids are friends with, mm-hmm. and you're like, I don't like them, or I can't stand them, or whatever, you need to really, like, just kind of take a step back and just recognize that that's probably about their home life. It's mm-hmm. not about that. Part. Most people are not born mm-hmm. the way that we think they are. They are shaped, they are cultivated by lack thereof experiences or abundance of experiences for both good, bad, anything in between and whatever you classify because I don't know where you stand on good and bad. But my point is, is that um, while it didn't really do anything a whole lot for me in the moment, like because I was such a pissant, like to her daughter and our friendship, but she still allowed that girl to hang out with me and that was probably a saving grace for me to be able to have somebody so kind in my life. Um, and who was a good friend to me that I'm sure helped 
at, yeah. you know, at lo lots of points in my life. Plus, she was a good influence. Like, when we were together and we stayed there, of course, we didn't do anything stupid at my place. You know, I couldn't guarantee that my dad wasn't letting her try beer. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. but that was the cool house, you know? Like, you don't know any better. You don't know any better. So, um, I think that that's really important, not only right here, right now, for y'all to recognize, but then in your own past and history start to kind of reveal because that's why like this whole background story about you know us growing up is to say like now I know how important it is to be intentional with the way I speak to my children and well, it, sometimes it sounds silly well, but it is I think it's a I mean I'm going through this with a friend's ex-husband right now like well I'm not personally going through it but I'm watching it it unfold where he feel the, the ex-husband feels like talking to an eight-year-old about certain subjects is not important and that it's too soon and that they need to wait about certain things. And then on her side of it, it she she recognizes where she was at at eight years old and where, what she was going through and that it's their responsibility to help navigate her through these things and help give her the tools to do these things on her own so that because you're becoming more independent at that age and, and creating your own ideas and thoughts about the world. And so if your parents don't help guide you through it and just kind of act like certain things aren't happening I believe that you're setting the child up for failure and I looking that I'm pulling directly from my own experience just from that because not of, failure but not failure, up, but an uphill battle yes. where they will have to actively choose very quickly about what kind of life they want to live and that's yes. usually by default and it, I think that the the magnitude of it or the empower or the powerful part of it is is that it all life starts for our children a lot sooner than we think and a lot sooner than we realize I think that in the world that we live in, even without social media, even without certain things, like if your child is going to public school, interacting with other children that have had other experiences and backgrounds in life, there's so much going on in their little brains and in their little social circles that you, I feel like it's our, our duty, our responsibility as parents or parent figures to start teaching them certain coping mechanisms and how to process information and how the to awareness aware yeah, to yeah. aware more mindful and aware I and think it would be both the things because it's, it's it and it's, get them off of everything yeah. but going outside to play more yeah and to me it's just it's one of those like you have to start thinking of your of your late elementary school middle school children as that's the time to start in like to start building these up. I mean, and you can start sooner, but if, oh, yeah, I'd recommend if, sooner. if you have children that are already in middle school and you're like, Oh, I don't need to worry about certain things till high school. Really, uh, yeah, really yeah. reflect and ask, ask yourself, was that was my first experience with this thing in high school? And now with social media being a thing, right? Everything is expedited. That's what I was going to say. Like everything that you thought happened to you is probably two to five years earlier now. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, it's just understanding that timelines for children in 2020 are, are expedited for, yeah. for children that grew up in the nineties or early two thousands. Cause I mean, I was born in 93, but I was really raised or grew up in the early two thousands. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with it. We, we've talked about this previously on a different podcast about sex and when do you start having those conversations? And when we started talking about our first experiences and what ages we were, I think we would shock a lot of parents that they might not have personally experienced those things at a young age, but the majority of other children, start experiencing things in all walks of life whether you're yeah. from the trailer park to uh affluent side of town or anything in between it doesn't matter there's there's opportunity and access everywhere exactly so learning how to learning how to recognize things 
and becoming more aware and more intentional with your parenting right from the get-go will only help your children and set them up for success yeah for sure so how we should just start giving i think we should start focusing on some tips and tricks on how to yeah make small changes in your everyday life to help your children with these things yeah well i think the first thing that you gotta hear and it's gotta be from the heart is that you gotta work on yourself (laughs) because number one like you can't I think one of the biggest issues that people probably find tension in in parenting is that the, there's a disconnect in between the actions that come out of your mouth and the actions that the kids actually perform. Oh, yeah. um, because it's not that they don't want to do what you want them to do. Of course, they if you tell them to get good grades and they want to get good grades, but if they see that you're a slack ass in your job, you're already showing them integrity. You're already showing them work ethic. And, it's the, and I think that's one thing is that it's hard because it doesn't translate <clears throat> eye for eye. Mm-hmm. work to school right but um it does it does there's a reason why my kid still sleeps till 11 o'clock in the afternoon if I would let him because I used to sleep till 11 o'clock in the afternoon even as a kid I mean obviously that's where it starts but I mean into an adulthood because nobody forced me to get up and have a routine and I shouldn't say force nobody encouraged me to see the benefits of being up early in a routine and that like to me luxury was sleeping the day away like I loved it I had I don't know I, just, I can't say I have regrets about it but you know that spirals into a lifestyle when you're staying up till two o'clock in the morning in mm-hmm. middle school <laughs> yeah. right opportunity for bad behavior my parents were just I'm telling you I was the third so they were just like now we're done <laughs> um so yeah one thing that Jess and I talk about pretty frequently is I think that um we can think about how every generation, I think it, it, we talk more and more about how kids have something, right? Like mm-hmm. the in the late 90s to early 2000s, it was all about ADD, and then they amplified it to ADHD, yeah. right? And whatever, I don't know if, if they called it something before. So, yeah. hyperactive I think was right. the term too so it's always it's, it's always changing and dare I say like the terminology makes it sound worse every time I agree. hyperactivity to AD you gotta shorten it because well, it's, it's so long well yeah but it's also um it's because we're becoming desensitized to so much so they have to up the the ante with what they're calling it to make it oh right because hyperactive doesn't mean anything anymore it's just exactly. a toddler okay exactly. I get what you're saying so um first of all there's so many parallels to parenting that there is to interpersonal relationships that we just do not give it credit. You know, like when people start seeing success in their relationships, um, when we coach, I'm like, now do what we just did in parenting. All right. And then I'm like, do you see, if they tell me something they did successful with a kid, I'm like, do that in your relationship. And sometimes people take offense to that because they're like, you mean talk to my partner like a three-year-old? Sometimes yes, because you, what you're what you're envisioning I'm saying is like shame on you and no, no, no. But if you say things more like what needs to be right, how can I help? Like those are kind parenting opportunities um, that some of us don't use the dialogue to speak to our kids with. It's, oh, what's wrong? Or, oh, you're fine. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, get over it. And again, this is the thing I think people have to give themselves a lot of grace with is that your intention's not wrong. No. right you, you want to get up dust yourself off you like don't it's not a big deal that's the kind of thing that's the message you're trying to send but your intention is not right yeah and <laughs> i think a lot of it comes back to those are the phrases that our parents correct use and the, that we heard that and are the ingrained. messages you still see yes and that it's ingrained into our brain so although our intention might be slightly different than our parents or our awareness might be slightly different than our parents we're still autopilot like when we get yep. frustrated when we get tired 
we revert back to those autopilot, what's ingrained in us, and we start using those old phrases again. Right. Yes. And so a lot of work here, which we don't want to talk about on this podcast, but I just want to start planting the seed. A lot of work here is you got to start ignoring thought because, you know, we talk about so much so that thought gets out of control. Mm -hmm. None of us stop to think about it. That's why we overthink. That's why we get anxiety because that's too, too fast thinking basically. Right. Um, you really need to dissect the feeling and the emotion. Mm -hmm. The I should say more like the, the words and the emotions more so. The thoughts and the emotions. Those are two separate things, but we wrap them up so tightly together that we're not really paying attention to how we're feeling. So when you can let yourself off the hook for the million thoughts that are going through your head and only paying to pay attention to the, the emotion, well, we talked about previously, it can only be good or it can only be bad. Mm-hmm. Only be good or only be bad. So I think that number one, when people get into that, they can look at that as a sense of relief. Yeah. Like, right? Like, I'm... Because what happens with anxiety, people obviously display many different signs, but it physically affects your body. Your heart rate increases. People can get shaky. They can get lightheaded. uh, They can get migraine pains. You can get phantom pain. Like you can, there's a a lot of different things that can happen. All we know is it's very uncomfortable and feels unnatural. Nobody likes it, right? Even though it's it's a primal emotion that's meant to try to keep us safe so we are supposed to pay attention to it but it just gets out of control so quickly because why we don't know how to manage it okay so when we when we take the pressure off of ourselves to pinpoint what is this anxiety why am i feeling this way how do i make it stop blah, 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 blah. you just go back to the i'm feeling a bad feeling mm-hmm. right that's the first part about it that's the that's the seed i want to plant is because you know what, what you're talking about tends to happen is you, when things get elevated right mm-hmm. you know the top explodes on the volcano right it's the innate behavior that was your first ingrained behavior and it's going to take time i promise you have to hear my heart when i say like it will never go away there will be times where you will feel oh, so much frustration and you're doing your breathing and you're like okay i need to need a second but it, it will happen so you just got to give yourself grace in that regard. And when you do, like I said, translate to everything. You can find yourself more patience in your children. You can find yourself uh, feeling empathetic for coworkers. You can find yourself, um, you know, really wishing everybody well. And you're like, that feels weird, mm-hmm. but, but it feels good. It feels better. And I choose the better feeling because you can only feel one of two, one of two feelings. Right. So, um, that's the first thing you got, you got, you got to do it yourself. And, I think that people actually really put the pressure on themselves the wrong direction because they think that, like like I said, I got into personal development to work on leadership. I wanted to be a better leader for other people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I wanted to be a better leader for myself. And I, I still, this is the first time I'm now saying that out loud. So I still refer to it for that reason is why I got into personal development. It really was, but I should have been in it to, to, um, learn about myself in general and but I just didn't know that there was a difference I didn't know there was a difference instead of learning a skill set versus undoing a bad habit (laughs) and then all the bad habits right Mm -hmm. is that it just it takes time and you can't do them all at once so uh parenting is just giving yourself grace whatever whatever capacity that you want to flex your muscle in right now between wealth relationships, mental and physical well-being, spirituality and passion. I mean, I would highly recommend mental and physical well-being first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the clearer you are, the easier, faster you can operate. Yeah. yeah. So get intentional with your kids. Right. So, um, a couple things that we've talked about before. One is that I don't tell Olivia no. And people think I'm crazy. 
And that's okay. You can, but hear me out. So it's not that we don't tell her not to do things. It's just that we do not resort to just saying, no, 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 no. And I hear it so much Mm -hmm. when I'm at the park, when I'm with other parents and it's, and I'll still do, I'll do that. I will never correct a parent ever. Um, But even uh, when my own husband, no, no, no. Right. Because it's just ingrained as parents. It's again, the intention is for safety or for protection or something. But I had a very powerful revelation that the word no was an uncomfortable word for me. Uh, And it was just like a year or two ago that I had read that Jane Fonda had had this really powerful quote that she said that she was like 58 before she realized that no was a complete sentence. And that was like an aha moment for me because I was like, that's exactly right. Like, especially for women, we feel like we have to explain ourselves. Mm -hmm. No, I would love to, but I can't. No, whatever, all that stuff. So that was powerful for me. And I'm like, I just need to start practicing saying no and being okay with it and just leaving it at that. That's difficult. That's really hard. You feel like you owe people an explanation. And here's why I think that is. Number one, because we're humans, we have guilt, Mm -hmm. especially if it's people we love and care about. But two, even when you can get to the place where you go, I'm okay with not doing it. But now I worry what they're going to think about me. What's well, the fear of being misinterpreted? Yeah, well, your expect their expectation yeah. of you being let down, yes. and you can't control their reaction or emotion to that. Yes. And yeah. So I feel like whether you care about it or not, yeah. you care about it. Over explaining your no yes. is your attempt to soften the blow if their expectations right. are and hope that they won't be mad. Yes. Yeah. And I, I do that on the daily. Especially, it's so hard for me in business to just say nope, sorry, can't do that. And like I can't just say no. Like I have to give. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to give a ten-page explanation of why I can't do something for somebody. Yes. So, um, so as you can see, we're talking about this right now. This was this is a challenge, right? So my one of my thoughts was, my daughter is learning to speak. Mm-hmm. So if I tell her no, I'm already teaching her that no is a bad word because if no, you can't have that cookie. No, you can't then it immediately makes her feel bad. So the word no makes her feel bad. If she feels bad about hearing the word no, she will never use the word no. It will make her feel bad. So I had a conversation with everybody in the house and said, you know, we will, we're going to do our best not to tell her no. And it took a while. It still takes a while. Some people still do it. Cole is amazing at it. Um, And all it is, is, you know, you just redirect, redirect. And this is what we, we used to do when people were cavemen. We had no language. We had grunts and symbols and whatever. Some, some really intelligent ones had some sign language. Anyways, um, you know, like if our, if our, uh, caveman toddlers heading towards fire our job was to redirect right and as we evolved we just started becoming more efficient so at one time no don't do that was just here let me just save your life don't walk into that fire i'm trying to save your life but it evolved into this no and you can sense the tone and the difference Mm -hmm. of evolution in the phrase right so um and by just saying no you're not giving them the tools to process what's going on that's what i was going to say and they're they're left to wonder, what am I doing wrong? Like, they literally stop and freeze and put their hands up and brace because they're like, what's about to happen? What bad thing is coming? Yes. What's going on? Because they don't realize what their actions are may not be safe, may not be what healthy, whatever. They're just like, something bad is coming. Yeah, so that that's is exactly what, what it is. breeds anxiety. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that's just one thing. That's one the thing. word no, right? So, for example, I know this sounds silly, and it's not an actual example, but just it helps, right? So if she was to stick a straw up her nose, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say no, don't do that. I would say straws go in her mouth. Yeah. And again, I know it sounds very silly, but y'all, listen, you will have to train yourself. You'll have to train yourself because your habit is efficiency. Nope, right? 
But what have I done? Like you had said, not only did I not shame her, because what's a parent's... No, 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 don't do that. Like you might stick up your... Get a bloody nose, whatever. You know, like that's the natural inclination is to protect her. But um, by just calmly reacting, which helps you guys. My gosh. <laughs> Helps. Same thing. You, you already know that. They like, fall down. Wait, you don't make a big deal about it. We already, that's the one that we have nailed on the head 20 years ago. We figured that out, right? Yeah. But why not apply it to anything else that you think of, right? So exactly. we make a mess. She dropped my bronzer on the floor in the kitchen today on my way to her appointment, actually. Oh. And I saw Cole just like look at me and I go, it's not a big deal. And she did the little pouty lip thing. So I don't know who's instilling shame in my daughter because it ain't me. Right, well, whatever. I, yeah, I can't say yeah, that. Yeah. But anyways, all I did was get this little broom, sweep it up, and, you know, no big deal. That's my favorite phrase to use with her is no big deal. Just brush it off. Um, so, yeah, you don't tell them no. Just redirect, right? Redirect. And so, by the way, <laughs> you'll use that. You can use that in your business, right? Same, yeah. Yeah, so you can rebrand your scripting so that it not only makes you feel like you got your message delivered, but it allows for them to. So, for example, hey, I want to have this product ordered can I can I get pick it up on Saturday from the party I want to pre-order it that's fantastic I'm so in, great that you're interested in product I can place an order for you and have it delivered uh, within three to five business days so you should still get it before the party on Saturday but if you'd like I can place the order with you on Saturday to make sure our hostess will still get credit either way blah, 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 whatever right never said no once right yeah but no I don't have that thing I won't have it for you that day unfortunately it takes longer for me to order that I like it. You know, but that's all it is. Is like what you're doing is that you're working through mm -hmm. your block and there's blocks in everything, guys. There's blocks in why you can't get your food on track. There's blocks on why can't you can't get your anger under control. There's blocks on why you can't make more money like that. You have to understand when I tell you that those are the things you never stop working through. Mm -hmm. Those are the stop. Those are the things like you like Donkey Kong power through a brick wall and there's 15 more right after it. Right. All right. So um, give yourself grace. And that's the thing about personal development is I think that people think that there is an end to it. And that is the spoiler alert that there isn't and there won't be and there shouldn't because if there was, you'd get everything you ever wanted, which is totally possible. But without confliction or uh, contrast, you'd be bored out your damn mind. I agree 100%. Yeah. But people don't think that. They They'll think that. So my point is, is that just always be prepared that there's going to be something. And when you switch it from challenge... Well, problem, I say problem to challenge or conflict to challenge. Mm -hmm. Challenge is, I mean, for me, at least it's more lighthearted. It's fun. It's like, how do I figure this out? How do I prove to myself that I've been building all this school, school <laughs> skill set and I'm totally capable of this? Well, yeah, it's like I don't look at a word search or a crossword puzzle as like a crippling anxiety <laughs> yeah. problem. I, it's a challenge. I want to test can be my, fun. yeah, I want to test my knowledge. I want to test, like, and, and those types of of games or ex mental exercises are fun for me. They're challenges, but they're fun challenges. They're right. fun problems that I want to see if my brain can solve them. Like the Rubik's Cube. I love solving the Rubik's Cube. And like Brett, I hand it to him and he just like twists it a couple times like, I'm done. He's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like like he, his, his brain just shuts off. Like yeah. He's not interested in learning it at no, all. No thanks. But those, those kinds of challenges excite me. So it's, yeah. it's learning how to recognize when a problem in front of you, like a metaphorical problem or business problem, relationship problem, whatever, is it a challenge that you just need to like work through and figure out the feelings and navigate like you would a Rubik's Cube or a crossword puzzle? Like just because it's a block does not mean that it's crippling and the it's end not of the permanent. World. It's not. It it's, doesn't have to be permanent, can, but most of us carry them around. Yeah, it can be yeah. a challenge that is more like a puzzle that 
you have to work through and navigate through and then it feels rewarding once you've worked through it once you've solved the quote-unquote problem the Mm -hmm. the challenge so yeah i think it's just changing your mindset and your perspective on things for sure yes you um that's what we're talking about being intentional right because the new intention again does not come easy It, Mm -hmm. it, it does with time and more practice because it becomes your new thing remember a belief is just a thought you think all the time So if you believe that you're a positive person or if you believe that you live in a world of abundance or if you believe that you can raise good kids, if you believe that you're interested in their well-being, then if you think about those things, they become your belief. Yeah. Right? Because you're thinking of them all the time. How do I think of all the time? Mm, Well, maybe you have affirmations in the morning. Maybe you want to make sure that you focus on today. My intention is to be the best parent I can be, whatever that looks like and whatever tools I can and encourage myself to sharpen throughout the day I will right but again you know you don't even have to have kids to be able to tap into this it's just about all relationships they're all the same we are all broken individuals somebody at some age planted a seed of influence in everything we talk about and you are now triggering it for them today you're not making them feel a certain way but you're stimulating an emotion that that takes them back to that time so if we all just remembered that we're broken kids at mm-hmm. 5 12 15 years old whatever it was and we could just empathize with that that's how you got to do it that's the, that's the cheatiest of the cheat cheat guys if you didn't know right okay um where's my thing because it's forgiveness is better than worry. Letting go is better than resisting. Love is stronger than fear. Well, love is the only thing. That's, I mean, most religions will tell you that. That's what you're searching for is love, that's yeah. peace, really. But Because love is acceptance and love is safety. Love is it. Love is everything. Yeah, love is everything. Yeah. Love no, is. I, I really liked the example that you gave about if, you know, Liv was put a straw up her nose, you just say straws go in our mouths. Because that's, I mean, one of the really strong, powerful parenting things that I listen to uh, a few months back now is is the the art of redirection versus telling the kids what you don't want. It's correct when you tell a child no, don't don't stand on the table. All the kids they don't they don't know what no means. They don't understand not to do that thing. All they hear is stand on the table. So they're going to continue. They might get down for a minute because you, you just yelled at them. You just raised your voice. They're they're stunned. They don't know what's going on. But then thirty seconds later, they're like, oh, she said stand on the table. She's gonna get back up and stand on the table. But if you say our feet go on the floor, they're going to be like, oh, okay, our feet go on the floor. I shouldn't be up on this table right now. So it's just redirecting them with positive enforcement versus negative. And you're, you're not shaming, you're not breeding shame. You're not breeding guilt. You're just reinforcing what you want them to do. So it's, it's difficult as all get out because I use that exact example. Um, That was one that I had heard on the video that I watched and listened to, but I've tried that example with the kids at home because Aurora, who is five years old, loves standing on the couch, loves jumping from the couch to the rocking chair, which is not sturdy at all, so she could get very injured. Yeah. So it's, I have tried to reinforce, our feet go on the floor, our feet go on the floor, our feet go on the floor. And then it gets to the point where I get exhausted and annoyed for repeating myself, so then I snap and scream and say, get off the furniture, like, we don't stand on the furniture. And then I can see, like, her body, like, I can see the shock on her face, and the, she stops, and she's like, oh, God, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And then, the set, like, you know, she's at the point where... She doesn't really cry when you, like, say no to her, but she does, like, she gets this, like, sadness. Like, she's just like, oh, I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want to get in trouble. But when you say those things in a negative way, that's what the, ch- that's what most children internalize is that they did something bad. They are bad. Right. You're mad at them. Right. They upset you. They let you down. Right. Um, so just as hard as it can be, and it's going to take time, especially if your kids are not used to you using those positive redirection phrases 
give them time to adjust to them as well. And give them time to recognize that if you used to yell at them or say no to them and give negative enforcement all the time, they're going to see how much happier and stress, like less stressful it is for you and them if you continue continuously use positive redirection and, right. and that it's not as stressful. Mom doesn't, mom and dad don't get as stressed out. They don't seem as like freaked out. I don't feel like they're yelling at me all the time. And so they're going to start adapting to those behaviors that you're positively enforcing with them because they realize how much smoother things are, how much easier, how much happier they feel, how much nicer it is when they listen to you. I mean, kids are kids. Some, some have harder times listening than others do. Um, for many different reasons, some are biological, some are environmental, whatever. Um, but it's the you controlling what you can control because ultimately you cannot control what, anybody but you. What your child does, you cannot control. You the, only influence. The, yeah, the yeah. behavior that your child displays. You cannot control if your child has an outburst at the grocery store or not. You can only control your influence on them. So understanding that if you continually continuously have outbursts in a negative enforcement way, like. Our outbursts as adults look different than outbursts as children, but it's because we we understand the social guilt and pressures to not have a full blown tantrum in the grocery store. Our children, even though not. you feel like you want to sometimes, yes, even though even without I mean, children, yes. Um, but we have learned those societal pressures to not make a, a a huge scene. Our children have not, so our tantrums, quote unquote tantrums, as adults might look like us yelling and scolding our children very sternly and meh. But their tantrums may be the flailing of the arms and the crying and the raising their voice and whining, whatever your tantrums be. Both are tantrums. Your child is seeing that behavior from you and is translating it into what they know how to do. Mm -hmm. So it's if your child is having a lot of tantrums, again, not every situation, every child is different. Some have biological mental um, blocks that they are dealing with. But it's ask yourself if you are displaying behavior that they are translating and displaying as well. So yeah. it's... The, Whether you know it or to, not, yeah, they it are. Comes, it comes back to the, you have to do the work on yourself. If you don't want your kid having tantrums in the grocery store, you have to make sure that you're not having your own tantrums as an adult. Right. And when, like we had said at the beginning, I feel like this is one of those moments where it's like, you might feel like, if it's making you feel a certain way, it's not because we're telling you shame on you. It's because it's, we're offering for you to recognize that there's a better way to feel, even for yes. yourself in that moment. Like, it's not that Olivia does not throw fits. It's not that she does not cry. It's, oh. But I will say that there's a lot of things, again, comparatively, like when we go to the store, she does not cry about not having toys. Like she will even take toys off the shelf and like hold them while we walk through the store and then give them back to me when she's done. Like I feel like I've instilled really well in her. Like we just have this thing for why we need this thing. You know what I mean? And it just, um, that's what will start to be the, this cascading effect. Like that's, I think, one of the biggest hurdles is just becoming aware first of how you're talking to everybody, including mm -hmm. your children. That's first, and that takes time. I'm like talking, it's not days for most people. It's gonna be weeks and months before that becomes your new habit because mm -hmm. 21 days makes a habit, 90 days makes a lifestyle change, guys. So theoretically think that if you start investing time today in 90 days from now, you could have by Angel Jan children. Yeah, by January 1st. <laughs> what, oh, hey, look at that. I like that. Uh, but here's the other thing is like, so like when you start with that, like I said, it trickles into everything as mentioned before with like your relationships outside of your immediate family. But we may have talked about this where like the, like the other things I've become aware of is really trying to help next level coping skills. Like, mm -hmm. so what we're talking about is just awareness, right? Yeah. Coping mechanisms in terms of like, how do I set her up for success? Well, this is a good example. 
her blanket. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I had mentioned that if you have not read Eckhart Tolle's books, they're fantastic. There's a lot of ego work in them. But we talk about possessions, and possessions are your symbols, and symbols make you feel good about yourself or bad, depending, right? Symbols being like car, money, religion, status, prestige, clothing, hair, makeup, anything. That's what the symbol itself is, right? But that starts very much earlier than we ever expected to, and we don't even connect the correlation it starts with young children, my book, my blankie, whatever, because you are now teaching them that that's possession of theirs. Mm -hmm. And so while it doesn't really sound like it's that impactful, it really is when you think about like, if I have to throw this blanket out at any time, Livy feels like it's part of her identity because I have been saying it's my blankie. So Olivia refers to her as my blankie. So that will shift into, right? Like I, I, I don't tell, like, the kids don't care as much because they will replicate your language, right? But sometimes I'll remind them, hey, like I said, go get the blanket that Olivia sleeps with, right? You see the difference in that? Yeah. Don't get, don't go get Olivia's blanket. Go get the blanket Olivia sleeps with. And if he's like, here's your blanket. No, here's a blanket that Olivia uses. I will even go as far as explaining it to this far to them. This is the blanket Olivia uses for comfort. That's why she uses it, right? So not only does she not have any shame, when she's like three, four, five, still rubbing it on her face, right? Mm-hmm. Because she knows I do this to comfort myself. That's good because I don't want to have to come in your room at two o'clock in the morning yeah. and comfort you anymore, right? Yeah. Even if you got to be 21 row slicky mm-hmm. blanket on your face, don't matter, girl, right? But it also explains to my children why it's important to her. Mm-hmm. But then everybody's mm-hmm. free of it for being a possession that she cannot live without. Which is why we get so sentimental to all these things that we do not need, uh, so on and so forth. But you can do it with everything. With everything. And I... Everything. Literally, like, I I felt like pulling my hair out just now because how impactful that would have been for my children. And yes, they are not my biological children. So this is not me trying to shame... Because uh, when we didn't know better, because, yes, knows exactly. Better. Yeah. I'm not trying to shame my fiance and his ex-wife because I truly believe that they have done a wonderful job raising their children. They are happy and healthy for the most being, or for the most part, they're they're typical children. They have their outbursts, but um, they both are very attached to objects. And it's, yes. this is mine. This is mine. You can't you can't come into my oh, room. Oh, both of our boys mine. are too. And yes, and so it's like, but it's the most random. So, like if they get a toy from a kid's meal. Oh, this, yeah. This is mine. Oh, but it's gum. Yes. Here. Gum. <laughs> but it's, um, but I, instead of just being like, oh, like, that's not yours. Like, we, we have to share. It's like, no, but when, when dad handed you your kid's meal, he said, here's your bag. Here's, like, it's so, minis- it's a bag. It's, here's the bag with your, with the food in with it that your, you're going to yeah, eat. Yeah, yeah. With, your, with the, the dinner you'll eat. With the dinner you're going to eat. Like, it's changing the verbiage because, that's the small language. What we've told her is that when I say this is yours, it belongs to you. Correct. It is now yours. But then I, I start to think about myself and yes. my belongings and, and I, everything. And everything. I have moved. I mean, I other than Brett and I just moved from the upstairs apartment downstairs, but we say it stayed in the same building. Other than that, I I have moved since I left my parents' house at eighteen. I want to say in the last. Nine and a half years, I have moved 13 or 14 times. I still have totes full of <laughs> memorabilia stuff from trips I have taken that I have not done anything I haven't opened with it, haven't looked at since it. Since I yeah. put them in the totes, yeah. all, all I have done is maybe gone through and reorganized the totes, yeah. but I have not thrown anything away, and I have such a sentimental value. Like, 
I'm so invested. Like, I can't get rid of this rock that I got off the beach in, in Bolivia. Yeah. Because this is my rock. This is and every this. time I hold it, it reminds me of yes. Bolivia. But it doesn't. But you it don't doesn't. even take the time to appreciate no, it. No, I yeah. don't. Like, I have such random stuff in a tote underneath my bed that it takes up so much space. And I, I'm telling you that my con- emotional connection to these belongings is so severe that when we were running out of space and had nowhere to put stuff, these were totes that I was like, oh, this ha- I can't, I can't even open these to look at what I can get rid of. All of this stuff stays 100%. I'm not non-negotiable. I'm not even going to think about getting rid of what's in these totes. These are my totes. And it's like, I still like they're underneath my bed right now. I see them every day because I kick into them like every day because they're sticking out from my bed a little bit. But it's just like, I'm so emotionally attached to them. But if had I changed my language, had my parents known better or been more aware when I was a kid and changed their language, I doubt I would have even bought any of these souvenirs. I doubt that I would have even uh, collected any of these objects because I would have been more more emotionally invested in the experience ah, and being there it is. Right now than I would have. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, because unintentionally, I, I do believe I was taught that you don't really have a good trip unless you come home with souvenirs. You don't really... How do you remember have, exactly, the trip? Like, you're not really going to appreciate this Or how do you prove to yourself you're there or your friends or exactly. whatever? Yeah. You're yeah. not going to truly uh, understand or the importance of this experience or appreciate this experience 10 years down the road unless you have a box or a tote full of souvenirs that you can show off to your kids in 20 years. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do with... Like, I mean, I have... I have a couple of things that have practical uses. Like, I have a, blanc- a blanket... It's made of like llama fur or whatever that, <laughs> yeah. that I could be using, but it's so emotionally attached that I'm like, I don't want to ruin it. And if uh, I take it out of this tote, it will get ruined. Is not the same philosophy of shoes that never come out of a box or cars yes. that never get driven? Yes. Yeah. So I'm so, so glad that you did that connection to the power of now because um, I'm going to say that this is one of the biggest things I struggle with in my business. And see, y'all hear how this is all connected, all connected Cyclical. because, yes, yeah. Being in the power of now, for example, a very important person of ours got married this weekend, right? And there mm-hmm. was, there is so much about the person I become mm-hmm. of not picking mm-hmm. up my phone and documenting everything that I'm doing, not only for business mm-hmm. and lifestyle, like awareness or whatever, but just because I'm here in the moment now, mm-hmm. I don't need to document this because I'm living it. Yeah. And that is the biggest picture. If you take that out is what you had talked about is now you have all this crap you've carried around for years and years and years. Not only that, but what happens when your baby comes and then you don't have room for it. So now you guys are going to have to get a storage unit or a pot. Oh and that's why people have storage units for storage units for storage units. And it's like an insane amount of like 75% of people can't even park in their garages. Yeah. So you've got to just think about this. Not only are you carrying that around that emotional baggage, by the way, where are you going to go? Where's it going? Where's it going? It's not going anywhere. You're just going to drop it off to your kids. No, thank you. I don't want it. Oh okay. My, okay. Real quick. <laughs> my stepfather's dad just passed away and my mom and my stepdad are cleaning out his farmhouse and like they have told me that he had rooms upon rooms full to the ceiling of memorabilia from trips and like he was like a trucker so every truck stop he ever stopped at he bought a hat so like he has a room full of hats, hats. that now that he's gone what do we do with all these fucking hats right. so it's like right. it's, just, it's overwhelming to think about like I mean and then I start to think about if my mom were to pass away right now and like or my mom and my stepdad because obviously if he's still around he could deal with it but like if I was left to deal with what all of the stuff that's in my mother's house right now I would just burn right. them to the ground. Like, I love her, and I would take all the... And the but they're out. her memories, not yours. Exactly. Right. And I would not want the responsibility of decluttering. Mm-hmm. You know, she's 53 years old, whatever. 
Yeah, 53 years. So five decades worth of stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, thank you. Yes. Like that, that, I, I don't want to spend more than five minutes going yeah. through my mother's belongings. Like, I mean, yeah, yes. we, I guess you're saying, but like, that's the, that's the last thing you want to do in that time anyways. Yes. But that's how it's all connected. It's all connected. So you teach your children to live in this experience. And for some people, they might like, you know, this might be hard for them because it's like, but I do like, listen, you can get something. Like my favorite thing that I have carried with me is getting crushed pennies anywhere I travel. Oh, yeah. And I just think that that's small and easy. Like I don't do anything but keep them in a Ziploc bag. Um, but I also like for a time I was collecting these types of totes that were really popular every time I traveled. And I'm like, now I have 15 totes I don't need. But same thing, like all these hats or these shot glasses or whatever it is. I have so many yeah. shot glasses that I don't use because I don't drink anymore. Right, so it's like, right. what am I going to do with 100 shot glasses? Right. And I have, like, Olivia has a um, stuffed animal from when I traveled to Australia when I was 16 years old. But I promise you, when I look at that thing, I do not think of Australia, you guys. And that's not to say that's... I forget my, my trip or that's sad or whatever, but that's my point is that yeah. it, it doesn't remind me of Australia and I brought it all the way back from there over 15 years ago. You know what's really funny? Almost 20 years ago. Is that I brought, because when I went to, when I went to Europe, Prague, you were pregnant with Olivia. Yeah, and she I, does have that. I brought you back a little bear that said Prague on it. Yeah. And you just gave that to me. I, I did. You just gave that to me for Harper. And it's, it's sitting, it's the only stuffed animal that's sitting up in her room right now. But I still, when I look at it, I don't think of my trip to Prague. I think of Olivia. Yeah. And I think about, I'm like, oh, how cute but is But that it? is sweet how that's transpired. Yes. Yeah. And so, but it's, it's just, that's but, funny to me. But it's a recycled gift. It is. So we didn't have and to buy anything new, yeah, right? But that's was, it. Yeah. It was very meaningful because, yes. you know, three years ago, three, almost four years ago when I went on that trip, I was not thinking about myself having children. Mm-hmm. I had. I hadn't even met Brett yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so yeah, I really was yeah, not but, thinking about yeah. having children. And we were so close. Well, we're still close, yes, but yes, that's yes. when we were getting very, very close. So that was really meaningful to me too. It was like one of my very first baby gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yes, yeah, so you see how it's all connected guys. And so what you're looking for is mental flow. You're mm-hmm. looking for ease. You're looking for relief. I promise that's what you're looking for and you can get there. And it's just what we've said basically is, you know, you just got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself first and just realize how great of a gift that really is. It's mm-hmm. for you first because you can't really function in ease and, uh, in comfort and efficiency for your kids. If, if you're not working on it, yeah. <laughs> if you're not trying, if you don't have the tools. Right. So, um, yeah. So I thought, I think that was really good. I hope that people got some stuff from that today and, again, the bigger picture. I just love when we can kind of wrap that in there because again, I think that that brings some ease mm-hmm. and knowing I'm not working on that thing today, but I see how it actually is kind of still working on that thing. Yeah. Um, and dissecting how complex it is when you, when you're looking at food and all of a sudden you realize how is this a relationship issue? Yeah. Well, it sure as crap is, it is. but they all are connected in the spider web. So, so yeah, well, we'll see. We'll have to check and see if we want to do part three next week. It just kind of depends. I think we've got, we've got a lot of really good things covered, but maybe we can find, maybe we can pull the group and find if they feel like there's anything else we're struggling with with parenting yeah. and yeah, go yeah. from there. I agree. I mean, we haven't talked anything about like hard experiences or hard talks and I think we've done that before though but anyways it doesn't matter um, so let them know where they can find you photosthenison.com or on Facebook you can also make sure if you're a female um, 18 years or older you can search for boudoir photos with the Anderson I'm also really excited because if you are not ready to join the group yet um, because there are some women that don't want others on Facebook to know that they're, they're interested in this type of photography because it's very intimate. Um, I do have some examples on my public website, so just make sure you're checking out photoswithanderson.com and you can check out my boudoir album. 
Ow, ow. And there is a um, marathon happening in November, yes. right? So. Yes. So I have I have six more spots actually open for the last weekend in November. I'm doing um, it's a boudoir bash a boudoir weekend and it basically is where multiple girls come together on the same day to get their boudoir sessions done we get them all done separately but you don't have to be alone um when you're getting ready getting pampered with hair and makeup you can feel the energy and the vibes and everybody that as they're it's coming fun. it's so much fun it's and fun as, as women are coming out of just getting their sessions done back in the bedrooms by themselves with in privacy mm, yeah they feel so confident and like so much fun and oh, that wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be so then if you're the next girl up you you kind of feed off of her energy For and sure. you feed off of her confidence sure. and then you go in and you have an even better experience and it's just so you want to be like last yeah you want to be, <laughs> you want to be the last girl today but it is or at least second it, it is it is an amazing experience and I love being able to do more than one session in a day because every girl gets to have her time where she is being focused on. Yeah, for sure. Special. Yeah. So let us know if you want to sign up for that. So we'll see y'all next week. Stay happy, stay healthy and wash your hands. Goodbye. Bye.